Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Cruel Summer, our look back at the G1 Climax Tournament Finals from the year 1991 all the way to the year 2018. And this is episode 18, so we're going to be covering the year 2008. And uh, my special guest today is someone I've known in, in some respect, like for, I don't know, maybe 10, 15 years, first on different message boards, the, the Observer message board, the DVDR message board, and then he became a podcaster himself, first with the Dr. Keith Presents uh, show over on the Wrestling Observer website, and then before moving on to his own unique show, ProRes Paradise, which you can hear at the uh, Pro Wrestling Torch website. He is the man known as Alan 4L, or which do you prefer, Alan? Your real name, Alan Cunahan, or your alias, Alan 4L? Uh, it's got to be the alias, right, WH? I mean, it's just so much cooler. It's like 4L, I can throw up the hand signal, you know? It's a, it's, it's got to be that. You know, I, I, had this, I, was ha- I had this question ready for you because I was, I was thinking about Alan Farrell, Alan Cunahan. What do I know you as? I usually think of you as Alan Farrell, right? But... I'm always surprised by whenever people say they actually uh, um, thought my, like, think my surname is 4L. <laughs> <laughs> not like obviously not like the number and the letter, but like the actual like word. Like I don't ah. know. It, it, I, I've come across that quite a few times, and it always pops me. I might have been the same when I first uh, found out your, your 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 real surname is Kunahan. But my question for you is like, there's this idea in comic books about the the character Batman, and people say which is the real person? Is it Batman or is it Bruce Wayne? And there's always this debate among comic book fans, which who is the real person? Like, who's the real person in your eyes? Alan Farrell or Alan Cunahan? Or are they the same person in your eyes? <laughs> well, the the guy that sits down and works as an accountant uh, five days a week is uh, probably a little bit different than the guy who's doing the podcast. So um, I would say... Um, there's probably a difference there, but they're both me, right? They're 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 both me, and occasionally, uh, well, I'd say occasionally, um, Alan Forel, Alan will slip into uh, accountant working nine to five Alan life occasionally when I just like my regular sense of humor comes out and I'm just like having a laugh at people in the office and stuff like that, but I don't think like regular. Alan Cunahan accountant person would come across on the podcast because that's like really boring and why would anyone want to listen to like me be an accountant on a podcast I don't know that's really <laughs> you, so, you've got my brain thinking in weird ways now WH I don't know uh, I don't know what to make of all this I, I'm glad I'm firing up your uh, your imagination and maybe like psychoanalyzing yourself so in both in both cases with both Alan's there's spreadsheets involved one has like the the greatest matches of 1997 and the other one has like uh, just pure numbers on them, right? A lot of V lookups, yeah, a lot of V lookups. <laughs> That's awesome. So, uh, tell us a bit about like like your journey. Like I said, I first encountered you on I think it's probably the Death Valley Driver review message boards as a very enthusiastic poster there, and just yeah, discovering. Were you, on, were you on F4W like from the start? Because I I reckon your username was one of those usernames that like when I when. I was really spending a lot of time on message boards from about 2005, I'd say, when the F4W board started. And the F4W board and the Death Valley Driver board were the two main ones for me. And I feel like I saw your name on both. But I saw your name. Your name was one of the names that I saw a lot. 
Yeah, well, I mean, I say I feel the same way about you. I would think I'm gonna say I started off at the DVDR boards first, and then I then I got a membership with I got a subscription to the Observer, and so the, of course that allows me access to the message board. Uh, so what I year started. Do you think that was? Oh God, dude, I I don't remember. I'm gonna say probably 2002 on, like somewhere along there. This is after I oh. came back. Oh wait, so like you were on the the pre because I only joined when like they started the F4W website and it was um and they like I was one of the first members and that was that summer 2005. Well, I was pro- that's probably it then. Like I don't mean to confuse you like I don't remember exactly when the the Wrestling Observer website would merge with like, you know, like Dave and Brian combined to create that, the F4W. That was um that was 2008. They uh, Dave came on board in 2008. He they they were separate. Like Dave would do shows with Brian, but the Observer wasn't on the F4W website until 2008. They merged together, and um, it's been kind of as it is now ever since. Well, I I think with my my relationship with like Figure Four Weekly newsletter started as versus like I subscribed, then I started doing stuff for the live audio wrestling website, like reviews and stuff. And then Brian Alvarez contacted me and was, was asking me if I could send him tapes. Like, cause he was like, Oh, you, you have the, all these tapes that you're reviewing. Can you send me some? And I'll give you a free subscription to F4W, which then migrated into a free subscription to the, the website, just as like purely the, the web content, not any of the print content, the, the observer I subscribe to separately. Right. So, yeah. And then when that hard started, coffee, baby, hard copy, I, Oh dude, I, I, I have such a mountain of those things, but yeah. And then when the, the, that message board, like what we now know as F4W message board started properly, I was early on there and I saw your name and I was like, Oh, he's, he's, he's made his way over here too. Okay. That's awesome. So it was, they're very different though. Very different feels. I felt both those web, those, both those message boards. DVDR and uh, F4W. Yeah. I felt there's like crossover, but very different, very different. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it was. I remember. Um, what was the match? Do you know what the match was? It was uh, it was um, the '07 WrestleMania main event. Sean versus. Uh, this is like the. I always think of this as this the perfect way to uh, summarize the difference in philosophies and the different approaches of um, of wrestling, or like consuming wrestling and watching wrestling between like Brian. And like the main guys DVD VR. So, and when I say Brian, I mean Brian and kind of like the people who were like most into the stuff he did and um, people he'd have as guests on his shows and stuff like that. So, um, like the, the F4W culture versus the DVD VR culture. It was the WrestleMania 2007 main event and Sean versus Cena. And okay, so obviously Brian F4W side of things. Sean is a god, like the greatest wrestler, one of, if not the greatest wrestler, just a, a complete living legend, can do no wrong. DVD VR side, Shawn Michaels is overrated. Shouldn't have gone into the Hall of Fame. Not saying that was everyone's opinion, obviously, but that was a big part of the culture. Um, that WrestleMania main event on the F4W side, what a carry job by Shawn Michaels. DVD-R, what a carry job by John Cena. DVD-VR pointing out how great John Cena's drop toe holds were in that match. Okay, was DVD-R... Sorry, go ahead. F4W side pointing out 
oh, I guess John Cena is a super worker now because he's got, quote, great drop toeholds. <laughs> and it's like, as like, as slagging, like, the idea that, like, the drop toehold is this, like, shoot maneuver, as if that was how, like, the DVD reorsized. So, so all these kind of, like, it was subtweeting before there was subtweeting, before there was Twitter. It was hilarious because I was, like, I kind of, I kind of felt, like, in the middle. Like, I would love going and reading, um, like, uh, and so okay so like dean rasmussen is like the most lovable just charming individual he was the guy who basically was like the head honcho of dvd he was like the most lovable charming guy never looking to get in fights with anyone but like i could see his style of writing and how he talks about wrestling rubbing someone like brian alvarez kind of the wrong way and then you had like phil schneider on dvd vr who very much watched wrestling and thought about wrestling the same way as Dean, but way more confrontational and would be like always taking shots and, and again, subtweeting before there was subtweeting. He still does it now if you read Sekunda Kaeda and the, the, I'm sure Phil would be, would have no problem with me saying that and would not take that as a shot against him. I'm sure he'd own that completely. He's well aware he's doing it. I think he called uh, Stronghearts, or it might have been um, Eric at Segunda Caeda. One of them called in their AW review. They called Stronghearts like third tier Dragon Gate wrestlers or something like that. Um, and like I remember something as well recently when I was reading them like rip apart Zack Saber Jr. and talk about him as like a fake wrestler. So like, like they there is definitely an element of like uh, uh, trying to rile people up, and then they know it. It's there. So. I'm, right, right. I'm not. I'm. I'm not saying anything they wouldn't uh, own, but uh, um, so like super confrontational. I kind of like was more into Dean, you know, happy jolly guy watching the wrestling, liked what he liked, but I also saw a lot of like what Brian and Dave would kind of espouse. Like I, Shawn Michaels was obviously to me a great wrestler, you know, <laughs> he was great. So um, I kind of felt like I felt nicely in between both camps and could appreciate things about both and then stayed away from the uh the tension that was probably there but uh uh yeah it was uh, oh yeah akira Ta- to bring it to to Paresu, uh, akira Tawe on the f4w said terrible worker needed to be carried by the rest of the four pillars uh dvd viewer side akira Tawe, was he the best of the four pillars question mark so <laughs> that was uh, again you got like some would say the dvd or side was maybe and like that obviously grew even more with pro wrestling only over the years some would throw um what's the term um contrarian maybe would be the term that, that people might throw at that and i don't think that's necessarily the case but that that would certainly be a, a thing that would be thrown out there about that kind of side of things. And uh, um, yeah, it's a, uh, it was just a very interesting dynamic, simpler times WH. I like, I can't keep up with all the fighting and feuding and, and disagreements that there are in modern wrestling discussion and Twitter. And, Oh, it's all, it's all just very serious and very, uh, like, I, I don't know. It's all just very serious and very depressing. And uh, I, I, I can't keep up with all that. You know, I, I hearken back to simpler times when it was just all about whether or not a Kiritawe was good. Yeah, I mean, it's, you just, with with Twitter, it's on your phone and you carry your phone with the message boards. You can, it's just on your computer, more or less. But <laughs> from from those message boards, then you moved on to doing uh, getting involved with uh, Keith Lipinski on his show for, for the Observer website. And then to that. now doing your own show over at The Torch. So how did it go from The Observer, DKP, the Dr. Keith Presents show, to ProRes Paradise now? 
Okay, so um, I had weaseled my way into like appearing on Keith's show in 2009 with Rob Naylor. Um, and uh, and I, I want to uh, right now take credit for Rob Naylor uh, being a, a, a Dr. Keith um, uh character the loved character of the dr keith empire because i lived in fear when joe gagney stopped doing his joe gagney the podfather the the original podcast master the the hall of famer wrestling podcaster when he hung up the boots on his podcasts in uh 2006 2007 and there maybe he had maybe done like five shows with rob nader i don't know but I thought Rob Nader was just the best, most fascinating, amazing person to listen to talk about wrestling. I thought he was just tremendous. And I was just terrified of the idea that we'd never hear him on a podcast again because there weren't that many podcasts. And if Joe was stopping doing his podcast, where else would you hear Rob Nader? So I was like, hey, Keith, you got to use Rob Nader. He's, uh, you got to have him on the show. He's, he, you'd love him. He's, he's so speaks your language. Da, 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 da. It's just match made in heaven and Keith got Nader on the show and they hit it off and Nader would be on the show all the time from like 2007, 2008. And in 2009, I wrangled my way onto a few shows with them. And then Keith had his Baba and he wanted to step away from the show for a little bit. And he asked me and Rob if we wanted to take over. And Rob was like, can I curse on this WH? Yes. Go ahead. Rob, Rob's like, fuck, no, I don't want that responsibility. And I was like, sure, why not? Dopey Alan. And uh, um, then uh, so I took over. And of course, I leaned on Rob big time as one of my one of my big guests early and having him on quite a bit. And uh, Justin Shapiro, of course, too. Um, so uh, that was the, the beginning of Dr. Keith Presents, um, as opposed to the Dr. Keith Show, because uh, I like the idea of, like, Theodore Orlon presents Doom, you know, that type, type of thing. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I, I, I like the idea of Dr. Keith Lipinski Presents, and then it was a show that he wasn't on. <laughs> um, but uh, so I w- had that for... 2009 to 2018 so like nearly well i think eight years because it was early 2018 so and late 2009 so about eight years of the dr keith presents show and then just the torch opportunity came around and it was just kind of time for i think pastures new for it just worked out i think i think they didn't need me at f4w and i i felt like i needed something new and it was like yeah it just worked out and great conversations with wade and todd martin and just kind of felt like it would be a good fit and uh i um i decided to to, to make the move and very amicable uh um very amicable split still get on great with dave and and brian and i've met them at wrestlemania weekend just like a month or two after uh, uh moving over and of course dave feckin' dave like i am um, all those years of doing that show like obviously the person who else would i have wanted to have on my show more to talk wrestling with than dave Meltzer? i called into wrestling observer lives just to talk to dave for like three minutes i talked to him the first time i ever talked to dave was 2007 july 2007 to be exact on observer live i called in to tell him dave how great togi makabe versus yuji nagata was from cork and hall and uh dave got all excited and i was like oh god i want to talk to dave all the time it's the best um but uh like Dave's a busy man, you know? He does a lot of stuff. Newsletter, does his shows. I can't be bothering Dave asking him to come on to my stupid little 
show. You know, he's got his his own shows here on the Observer site. It's like I, I wasn't gonna bother him. He'd never want to come on my show. And uh, then um, after I left, message from Dave. I'm so sad you're leaving. I'm really sad. I never got to do come on your show. I would have would have been great to talk with you. For I was like, oh no, nah. And like I'm sure I could get him to come onto the show on the torch. But again, I still feel like I don't want to bother him because he's so busy. Then uh, is he really that busy? I think he's, he's fine. He's busy. Fine. He, he's battling Egypt on Twitter all the time. So maybe I should say, Dave, put down Twitter. Come on my show. We'll have a chat. We'll watch the Togi Makabe from 2007. Get all excited again. I think if you distracted him from Twitter, you'd be doing him a favor, quite honest with you, you know? But <laughs> and now, but I got to say one thing. I, I love the name of your show on the torch, Pro Res Paradise, because it doesn't just mean Japanese wrestling. You cover all kinds of wrestling on that show, but it's all pro wrestling isn't it so i i really love it's the new pro, name of the show pro pro wrestling because we're, right. we're all about we're all about the positives where i don't talk about stuff that shit because i don't want to talk about stuff that shit i don't want to watch stuff that shit i just want to watch good stuff and talk about it so it's uh it's the paradise because it's where you want to go if you want to hear about good wrestling that's fine. I, I'm kind of the opposite. I, I, I revel in the bile that comes out of my mouth when it comes to the, <laughs> the wrestling that I love, like the good stuff, the, the, the flowers that I throw on all the wrestling I love, all the to- Tomohiro Ishii's, the, the, you know, Kenta Kobashi's, the, you know, the Daniel Bryan's, Brian Danielson's, and then just the bile. I, I revel in that as well. So I'm, I'm quite famous for it. I may or infamous for that. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe I'm overstating my importance in, in the world of uh, wrestling podcasting. <laughs> Notorious but- grump. WH Park. That's right. That's me. Uh, <laughs> that guy gears gear looks like shit. That's the thing I I think I'm most famous for. Like me talking shit about people's gear. Tetsuya Naito in particular. Uh, fuck. He he looks so much like he looks great now. Before Stardust Genius, I fucking hate hated that character. I love I love Tassel era Naito. You 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 couldn't have been more wrong. WH. <laughs> that's fine. We can disagree on on any topic. I just like I'm enjoying talking with you already. Uh, let's move on yeah, to. I, 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 uh, what I've learned from these first few minutes recording is if people want to get me at my most fired up, uh, organize to a podcast with me at 10.30 a.m. on a Saturday morning because, my God, I've got all the energy in the world here and you're getting psychoanalyzation of DVD VR versus F4W from 12 years ago. You're getting, oh, I, I haven't felt this energy on a, on a podcast in a long time to reach because I'm, I'm usually doing my own like late at night at the end of a work day and, and yeah, it's, I need to I need to rearrange my schedule and start doing podcasting at this this hour because I I feel the energy right now. You're bringing it out of me, man. I think morning podcasting is so much better. I usually record these on a Saturday morning with people in different time zones, so it, it, there's something to be said. But we should talk about today's topic, which is the 2008 G1 climax. So let me let me give some background on on the tournament itself. It was uh it was held from August 9th to August 17th. It was a two block. 14-man round-robin tournament. And let's talk about the, the participants in A-Block. Let me list them for you. In A-Block, we have Togi Makabe, Satoshi Kojima, uh, Shinjiro Otani, who's like, you know, now in 0-1, but he came back to New Japan for this particular <laughs> tournament. Uh, Manabu Nakanishi, Giant Bernard, Hiroshi Tanahashi, and Wataru Inoue. And so just from those names, what's your what kind of feelings are you getting about this A-Block, Alan? Oh, I'm all about the Wataru in a way. Love um, the the uh, uh, this A block was um, well. 
it just kind of goes for the, the whole tournament as a whole. This 2008 G1 is like when you think of like the star power and the depth that's been in G1s in in recent years. Now I know obviously with the way this show has gone and you kind of building up from the 90s through like this might not look like such an anomaly, but if you're just used to G1s from like 2013 onwards, this would just look like such a a shallow field um with with for starters there's not as many people and also there's some like i don't say dead weight that's maybe too strong a word but it it's not as loaded with great exciting names as uh as we're we've been used to and treated to in the last few years but man for me in 2008 i was so excited for this this was like one of the first g1s i was able to properly follow along with from start to finish and um block a specifically tanahashi in a way otani otani was so i was really excited about otani in this he was like the outsider he was the wild card name loved him in zero one um he and i think he kind of proved to be one of the the lightning rods of the tournament um if I remember right, pretty much every match he was in, I really enjoyed. Um, with the Kojima one in particular being awesome. Um, so yeah, I, I like this A block. Uh, it, it, it's as far as uh, the guys that were available at the time to New Japan. It's it's a decent block. Yeah. So let's let's move on to B block. And at the top of B block, we have Hiroki Goto, Shinsuke Nakamura, uh, Toshiaki Kawada, his second and Last appearance in the G1. His first appearance was in the uh, 2005 G1. Uh, Yutaka Yoshie, one of your favorites. Uh, Yuji Nagata, Toroyano, and rounding things off in the B block, Hiroyoshi Tanzan. So what what do you make of the B block, Alan? Kawada will probably, uh, to, to someone who's, who's listened to this, who wasn't really watching at the time, Kawada, I'm sure, will jump out as, whoa, there's the big interesting name. But in 2008, like it, you were really seeing the the tail end of Kawada. If you had been watching in the years leading up to that, you knew that the tank was pretty much nearly empty. So it wasn't a super exciting thing to have him in this G1. Um, and unfortunately, his performances kind of lent that way. There was nothing particularly great about his run in, in this G1, sadly. Um, but uh, you got the sort of young blood in there with Goto and Nakamura representing the Rise stable. Um, uh, do I remember what that stood for? Real International Super Elite? Does that sound right to me? Uh, go, go ahead and talk some more about these participants. I'm, I'm going to go look that up. Actually, hold on a sec. Not to be confused with WXW's Rise, but uh, um, then, uh, yeah. Yoshi, you mentioned he's my guy, and I love Yutaki Yoshi, particularly around this time. He was just one of these guys I um, I was just so fond of. And I uh, mentioned Dean Rasmussen earlier. Yoshi was a Dean Rasmussen guy, true and through. He loved him, um, but uh, it was... Uh, he, I just loved the way he worked. He was, he was a big guy, big fat guy, but he knew how to use his girth in interesting ways and he'd take a beating and oh, if you ever get a chance and there was one of them here in, in this tournament and it was really good but if you ever get a chance watch 
the Yuji Nagata Yoshie matches from the 03 and 04, and maybe even 02 as well, they had one. But those guys, G1s, those guys were always money against each other. They just had such great chemistry. Nagata would just kick a lump side of Yoshie, and Yoshie would just fire back with like one blow would take Nagata down because it's just such a heavy hitter. But um, yeah, I, I love Yutaki Yoshie. Like, how can you not love a guy with pink hair and a pink singlet and wears a pink suit when he comes out for trophy presentations? Legend. Now, were, were you a fan of his uh, Fighting Club G Eggs persona and that wonderful haircut he had at that time? You know, I, I wasn't watching Japanese wrestling back then. I saw um, the haircut. The only time I ever saw that haircut was um, I got a DVD of a New Japan show, and I think it was this was like around this time, around 2008 or so, but it was a DVD from like 2001 and he wrestled Scott Hall in it and he had the haircut then. And I was like, what is this hair? What does he look like? This is very odd behavior. How, how would you describe, how would you describe this hairstyle <laughs> for people who it was like, up? It was like all this, like, again, it's going back in memory a little bit, but I, I remember being just like weird patterns shaved into his head and it was like a mohawk that went in like loads of different directions i suppose is, is the best way to describe it it's kind of like a cake i thought it looked like a layered cake on top of his head <laughs> that's that's another good way yeah okay so rise okay let's it stood for real international super elite so yes so I, bang on maybe maybe if like it was in 2016 like maybe kenny omega would have joined this faction instead of the bullet club we, we don't yeah. know <laughs> So. Yeah, a real international super elite featuring uh, one uh, Prince Devitt. That's right, and, and uh, uh, Milano Collection AT, right? Milano, yeah. Um, I, I think it was Tai Chi, like, essentially, like, a, an NWO B-team style member. I think he was, like, a non-official member of, of Rise, but uh, Minoru Tanaka was a card-carrying member, Goto Nakamura. I mean, these are, these are like, the, the, the seriously cool guys in New Japan at this moment in time. Yeah, and then we still had like uh, Great Bash Hill on the other side, led by Tokyo Makabe. And so we're we're seeing basically the finals of this tournament is Rise versus GBH. So it's it's pretty interesting. Like we're we're having like in two thousand eight faction warfare. But let, let's talk about each guy's path to the finals. So Makabe he beats Giant Bernard, Inoue, Kojima, and Tanahashi, and he loses to uh, Manabu Nakanishi and Shinjiro Otani. Uh, for Goto, he's able to take out Nagata. Nakamura, Tenzan, and Yano, and he loses to Kawada and Yoshie. And this this particular tournament, we don't have any semifinals before. We would have a, a number of semifinals in each of the tournaments, adding kind of a drama to the last night. But this is, I think, the first year in a long time that they decided to do away with the semifinals. Yeah, and they had um, two shows in, in Sumo Hall to end it, so it was like a lot of block action in Sumo Hall just leading into a final, so... Um, yeah, it was, uh, and, and the main event of, uh, the first Sumo Hall show wasn't even a G1 match WH. It was the G1 World War II dominance and intensity, Kurt Angle and Shinsuke Nakamura versus Hiroshi Tanahashi and AJ Styles. So very different structure of the tournament back in, in these days compared to what we're, we're used to now. See, that would maybe, yeah, that would definitely be a semi-main if we're talking about the G1 now, because like the finals yeah, always it'd have to be a semi-main on finals night, like, and then there'd be no other blocks on finals night. It would just be all about the final. So let's go into the finals, which took place August seventeenth, two thousand and eight, in Ryogoku Kokuki Khan, aka Sumo Hall. So we start 
the video on New Japan World, and I see that Goto, this is his uh, shorts, plain black shorts, very boring look for Goto. Uh, not not too inspiring for me. Like, I love what he looks like now. Like, to me, the stuff he's wearing now is, is amazing. I, I hate it. basically the- rocking the uh, current John Moxley gear in this in this match. Yeah, definitely. He definitely has that look. Uh, Makabe is seconded by Great Bash Hill. So let me tell you who's in his corner here. Yano, Ghetto, Jado, uh, Tomohiro Ishii with hair. Uh, Tomi Akihama and Carl Anderson. I think it's a, maybe is he the lone uh, foreign wrestler in GBH? Um, was oh Bernard Bernard. Bernard, Bernard would have been too, because they were always tied at the hip. Yes, they they were bad intentions, so they were in there as kind of like the the foreign contingent. Rick, Rick Fuller was gone at this point, I guess. Oh yeah, Rick Fuller. It's always amazing to go back and just look at, like, say for example, cage match, and see all the the names that appear in like different cards on New Japan. Like you know, back in the Rick, day, Rick Fuller. Rick Fuller at that point when he came in, it was bizarre. Then it's not just bizarre now to see it. People were like, "What the fuck, Rick Fuller?" <laughs> <laughs> I remember, like, I was talking with, uh, on the show I do with, uh, did with uh, Jojo Remy, like, we were talking about uh, Akiyama Tenzan, and we were talking about, like, Jeff Farmer, you know, NWO Sting, Super J, for whatever reason, and then we were just, I just remember, yeah, oh yeah, NWO Sting was a prominent member of the New Japan undercard in the early 90s and the late 90s, during the time, like, the NWO was really popular in, in New Japan for wrestling, so it's it's always nice to see these really strange names. I'm sure like 10 years from now, we'll be like looking at Michael Elgin or, or whoever and thinking, wow, they were in new Japan for, for that period of time. It's really interesting. Uh, going back to the, can, can I um, just point out something just before we get into the, the nuts and bolts of the match itself, just to take people back to uh, uh, the time and place of 2008 and, and what it meant to be kind of following along with this G1. Um, this was the first G1 that, with the way Japanese wrestling was kind of coming online at this point, we were, I think we were in like a real sweet spell during the summer of 2008 where shows were getting uploaded um, like the day after they aired or the day they aired. Like people were, were getting these shows up as they were happening, which was a super rare thing. And it was like, it was just completely different from like four or five years prior when, um, people would be waiting three, four months for a VHS to come in their mail of, of a big Japanese wrestling show. So this was re- a real sweet sweet point in terms of uh, being able to watch stuff. And this was, I had, a, I had a bit of an interest in New Japan in 2007, but not the type to follow along with everything in the G1. Like I was keeping an eye on it, watching some matches here and there type thing. Um, but 2008, I was all in on New Japan. I was really impressed with the direction they were going I, I just really enjoyed the product and i was excited about this g1 and the shows were popping up every day as they happened every show because they're on samurai tv or um the new japan dot uh, tv uh, i forget what the name of it is uh, they had like a they had a streaming thing like way before new japan world it was like the stuff would come up in like real real player and so anyway but it was um basically every show was more or less available as it was happening and you were able to just follow along watching this thing show after show and it was so awesome but the final the final was a um that it was a pay-per-view so 
I, I guess the people who were putting the Japanese wrestling online in 2008 weren't able to get the pay-per-view. So everyone had to wait about three to four weeks before the show popped up. I think somewhere in that time, just the final popped up in clipped form because it was part of the World Pro Wrestling TV airing. Um, but the actual full show didn't pop up. And me being a completist, I wanted to watch the full shows. I went like nearly a month trying to avoid spoilers of who won this G1. I can't remember if I was successful or not in doing so, but it was a real momentum killer because like they had had like this tournament that you'd follow along with, you're really excited about, it, and then it comes to the final, then you have to wait a month before uh, uh, watching it. So um, that was just a little... Uh, uh, to give people an idea of how different it is now today when it's just it's just taken for granted that we'll be able to see these things as they happen it wasn't a, it was a pretty special thing at that point but then yeah. it was a real kick in the nuts a real kick in the nuts at the end to have to wait for the the last show yeah no one no, no one under the age of like i don't know 30 can understand the pain of having to wait weeks and weeks for you know shows that you really you've read about in the observer or or another newsletter and then waiting to finally get that footage make it to the people that you supply you with 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 tapes or dvds at the time and then being finally getting in the mail and finally ripping that package open putting it into your player and then just watching everything to get to that one match you want to see but um we go back to the, the match itself and like uh we we see that goto gets uh, gets his name announced. He gets these mild cheers. I feel he wasn't as popular. Uh, he wouldn't get reach his the peak of his popularity. And then Makabe gets announced, and he's booed wholeheartedly because like he's he's kind of doing all this cheating throughout the tournament. His, his great great bash heel is is like a bunch of like you know hated heels. They they do interference. They do all these things that kind of are the antithesis of what New Japan fans want to see. You know, at the time. So so there's a lot of heat for Makabe. I think. You know, with with Goto, this is kind of like the, the he's the project in this pro, in this tournament in two thousand eight, and they, they're thinking, okay, we gotta put him in the finals. We gotta get a lot of babyface heat on this guy, and so Makabe's got to be the super hot heel going into this match against uh, Goto. So match starts very slow, I feel, with an exchange of headlocks, and then uh, amps up with uh, shoulder tackles from Goto until he finally is able to knock Makabe down after ducking a clothesline. Uh, Goto gains the adventure, advantage after a series of strikes, including uh, kicks, elbows, etc. And then uh, he sends Makabe out to the floor, uh, psychs him out with a dive attempt, and then uh, hits him with a second rope springboard somersault plancha, which I've never seen him do since. Uh, this is not something like, you know, Goto is well known for, Alan. No, not thought of a, as a high flyer at all, but Goto, after he came back from his excursion in the uh... Late 2007 and into 2008, he was a bit of a wild man. You never kind of knew what to expect from Hiroki Goto. And uh, he was always kind of trying new things. And some he was throwing things at the wall and seeing what st stuck. And uh, sometimes stuff would work and sometimes uh, it w wouldn't. And this looked awesome. Um, but I'm sure it was something that as he kind of got older, it was probably wasn't something he wanted to be doing on a regular basis. But hey, I'd be all for I'm. One of the things I'm hoping for with this upcoming G1 is a is a, a new look, a new style to Goto, something different. I think he needs it at this point. He's very he, he's very much in need of a fresh coat of paint, and I'd love to see him coming out and just like 
maybe a slimmed down Goto and like the first thing he does in his first match is this exact move. How awesome would that be? That'd be pretty cool. Yeah. Um, I gotta say at, at this point, uh, Makabe kicks like Goto low, like in the balls and there's like right in front of red shoes and there's no repercussions and things like this. I don't know. Like it just takes me out of the match. How do you feel about like, you know, blatant cheating and like things that would normally be a disqualification if the ref actually saw it in a different con in a different company or anything but there's nothing there's no repercussions for like things like this or like shoving the ref away which we'll see later in this match as well i don't for me it it brings the match quality down a little for me alan i don't know how you feel about that to me it's all about context it's all about time and place so um if i'm watching um i don't know ring of honor in 2007 brian danielson title matches like and in the middle of a title match he grabs a chain and hits a guy in the balls and like oh obviously that should be a dq um but if i'm watching dragon gate and the referee is casually somewhat not looking as like a stream of guys are running into the ring at red boxes and mist and everything in the world is happening and so obviously would be a dq but it's like it's fine because it's dragon gate and that's the context that stuff happens in it's inherent in the way the house style of the promotion it's just kind of like an an accepted thing you know and um with new japan and with japanese wrestling i think in general not not every promotion but with a lot of promotions there's kind of more more leniency kind of given and more if if it's a big match with big stakes the referee aren't gonna won't want to rush to dq it and you're kind of relying on guys to kind of show honor and valor and and not go beyond what's acceptable in the pro wrestling ring but a guy like togi makabe and gbh they don't care about any of that shit they'll cheat and they'll push you to see if you're going to dq them knowing that you probably won't and um uh, they definitely push the boundaries in in this match so um yeah it's like to me it, there there are times when it will bother me and there are times when it won't and it's kind of if it does it does and if it doesn't it doesn't well that's a, that's a good answer I, I i can see where you're coming from just like i i'm kind of like it's very hard i'm very set in my ways the way i think about wrestling so it's very difficult for me to like come around but i i do like like what you're saying there so i'm gonna keep that in mind the next time i see someone do some bullshit and think okay well alan doesn't like i gotta put it in context so alan thank you for that i do appreciate it uh from here uh we see makabe hit a ddt uh, from the apron onto a chair on the floor and then he follows up with a chair to the side of goto's head which you know busts open goto really wide like he's now like you know we're, we can now gauge this match on the muda scale i think like from from this point uh appropriately enough keiji muto is on commentary uh giving his expert opinion i'm sure on the quality of the bleeding being done by hiroki goto at this point uh, or and during the course of this match from this point alan yeah well who would know better than uh keiji muto but uh it's strange seeing blood in new japan we just so i was gonna say rarely see it now but we never see it now unless it's like hard way and it's like Juice versus Moxley, where it's kind of like a little trickle. And um, yeah, you don't see gushers like this in, in modern New Japan. It's something they, they've they obviously made a conscious decision that they don't want as a part of their product. And, and you got to respect that if that's if that's the course they're going to take. Um, I'm, I'm someone who, like, 
I totally respect and understand anyone's wishes if they don't want to like be bleeding in pro wrestling or have blood in their company. Um, but as a fan, if I see a match like this and Hiroki Goto's busted up, it, it adds to the drama. I'd be lying if I said it didn't. No, I mean, like you were saying before, you know, the context, I think the context of using, you know, having Goto bleed, especially as much as he eventually did in this match, is like, it, it really, you know, gains the sympathy of the crowd. And it really goes towards this idea that we're trying to make this guy a super baby face going, coming into this match, going during the course of the match. And then hopefully after the match, that the fans are going to look at him differently. And the blood really helps with that. Um yeah, and then Maccabi goes really goes right after the cut. He starts punching him in the cut. He throws Goto outside where, where Hama goes after him to a chorus of boos from the fans. And again, like context, this is trying to get him over. Uh, Nakamura Nakamura is there, and along with Milan Collection AT and Minoru Tanaka, and they save uh, you know Goto from GBH. The bit of a mini brawl ensues outside the ring. Uh, Makabe uh, st- uh, slaps Goto in a sleeper hold, and more blood pours out. I'm guessing he's squeezing his head so hard that, he, like, the, the blood is squirting out of his head. I don't know if that if the mechanics of that actually works like that, Alan. Do you know? Um, I'm no expert. It sounds dubious, though. Yeah, and from this point, there's the the crowd. Like I said before, at the beginning of the match, at the beginning of the match, there's like mild cheers for Goto, but now there's a big go to call from the crowd they want to see this guy beat the ass of toki makabe it's really great so it's working the blood is working all the shenanigans from gbh and makabe himself are working to really create the sympathy for hiroki goto uh, a strike flurry is stopped by uh, makabe with a rake to the eyes then makabe goes for his uh, chain and Richie's uno tries to stop him only for makabe to push him down and again, there's no DQ, but like you're saying, like they're pushing the boundaries. They know this is the G1 Climax final, so maybe you know uh, Red Shoes is not going dis- to uh, disqualify them. Uh, Makabe then proceeds to choke Goto with said chain, and the crowd is hating this. They're booing it, uh, and then Makabe keeps speaking uh, to us fallen Red Shoes to say, "Ask him, ask him," like calling for Red Shoes to ask Goto if he wants to give up. And then Red Shoes gets up, and I, I like. I'm not a huge fan of Red Shizuno, but I, I like this part. He gets up, he goes over to Makabe, and he kicks him in the back to break the hold. And then he just gets into this big argument with Red Shoes, and then Red Shoes pushing him back and saying, I think, he, I basically at this point, I think he's saying, if you fuck with me anymore, I'm going to DQ you. I don't give a fuck what, what match we're in. I thought this was a great, great part of the match, Alan. Yeah, and it kind of plays off the, the earlier kind of um, pushing of the limits that we talked about with Makabe. He he pushed and pushed until he got Red Shoes to a point where he wasn't going to take it anymore. And Red Shoes fired back. And I was kind of uh, part of the turning point into kind of getting this match back on track for Goto to babyface. Yeah. So for this and getting point... the crowd and getting the crowd more invested as well. The crowd were the crowd were into Red Shoes showing that defiance against uh, these thugs. Yeah. Well, he's kind of like he's representing the crowd to the to. Uh in this match, I guess, because they're how they're feeling about GBH's involvement uh, throughout this the course of this match. Um, at this point, Goto blocks either a power driver attempt or a power bomb attempt and turns it into a backdrop. Uh, Makabe uh, kicks Goto into the ropes where Goto fires back with a big lariat. I, I loved 
when Goto hits big lariats on people, especially someone like Makabe who could take a shit like this. Uh, Goto follows up with a series of lariats, top rope elbow, uh, uh, sorry, a top rope elbow drop, a Saido suplex. It, like, so now this is the part where like Goto's just hitting everything at Makabe and just showing like the kind of the, the range of his repertoire, Alan. Yeah, he had a bit of everything. He was like the, the suplexes. He had the, the top rope elbow. He had strikes. He had to dive like we talked about earlier. He was he was even starting to introduce submissions and, and pinning cradles into, as I said, Hiroki Goto of, of this era was very much about throwing different things at the wall and seeing what stuck. But uh, um, great offensive rest. Something uh, the voice of wrestling guys have always pointed out is that Hiroki Goto is, is one of the kind of great offensive wrestlers of his time. He has uh, a great repertoire of uh, offensive maneuvers. Yes, including uh, submission. So Goto ties up Makabe's legs, and this goes for what I would consider like a modified chin lock. And I think the announcers are saying that he learned this move in during his excursion in Mexico. So I guess maybe he's showing off a bit of uh, Yave that he learned over there, Alan. Oh yeah, perhaps uh, maybe he uh, maybe he 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 was training under the wings of a, a Jorge Rivera or a Negro Navarro uh, while he was there briefly. Uh, who who knows? Uh, many uh, great Mexican uh, maestros who might have been able to teach him a thing or two while he was there. So from this point, uh, a German suplex attempt by Goto is blocked by Makabe by grabbing red shoes and low blowing Goto again. Uh, but this time the you know red shoes can't see it. Uh, there's a uh, a Laird in the in the corner. Goto puts on uh, is put on the top rope, and then uh, Makabe is going for the German suplex, which he hits, but he doesn't follow up with the uh, diving elbow, but just climbs down and tries to pin uh, Goto with one foot on his chest. Big heel move, and he only gets a two count for this. I thought this was a a neat spot because you know, like the the German, the Spider German into the elbow drop is kind of one of his the knee, like, knee drop, right? Well, he's going for an elbow drop, I think. Or or the knee drop, but he doesn't. That was probably just Togi Makabe being awkward and his uh, body contortioning as he landed. I mean, he's not the most uh, smooth guy in the world. But I thought I thought it was a good thing where he didn't do what the crowd expected and just kind of oh went, yeah, and just kind of disrespecting Goto by just putting his foot on his chest. Uh, Makabe then hits a big power bomb for another two. There's a, a big big uh, Hiroki Goto call. Uh, Goto ducks Makabe's lariat after following him into the ropes and hits his own lariat. Uh, then there's this big lariat uh, ramming battle where they just keep hitting each other with lariats at the same time. I love when we have these kinds of sequences. Um, until they sign you... This is the moment where you are like, G1 final, baby, sumo hall, let's go, this is it. Yeah, they're sort of ramming each other with lariats simultaneously. And then they knock each other down with, uh, you know, like like a big lariat sequence uh there's a punch elbow exchange headbutts from makabe goto hits a big ushiguroshi makabe gets out of a vertical suplex or something similar to that and hits a german for a two count so now we're hit we're into the third gear of this match alan and what what are are you thinking at this point at that point i was thinking that german suplex from makabe was awesome how good was that like perfect bridge like that's one of those things you might think of Togi Makabe is this like brawler, this uh, uh, guy with, with like technical skill and kind of awkward guy. But I mean, you come through the New Japan Dojo, you're gonna have your your basics well well honed, and you're gonna be able to throw a German suplex and hold a bridge. And boy, did he hold a nice bridge here! This was great. And 
hell of a near fall. The crowd popped big off. But that was that was a great moment. But I mean, yeah, at this point in the match, you're thinking they're they're getting ready to to end this thing. It feels like it, it could come to a close at any moment. And if you didn't know who was going to win, um, it, you really would have felt it could go either way. Yeah, so Makabe follows that up with a, a lariat to the back of Goto's head and then one to the front. One, two, 2.5 kicks out. Again, the crowd is electric for these near falls. Uh, Makabe goes for the King Kong knee drop. He misses. Uh, Makabe pushes Goto into red shoes. Uh, he hits a dragon suplex. So Makabe's just pulling out all these different kinds of suplexes in the match. He goes for his chain again. It wraps around his arm. Uh, but Goto goes for a spitting heel kick to no effect because, you know, he c- connects with what looks like uh, a, a Saiku knee from Makabe, I think. Or no, like, uh, he, doesn't, he doesn't connect with the... The spinning heel kick, but then he hit, hits the uh, the Psycho knee. That's this, what it looked like to was, me. So, okay, so this was a really weird spot that I don't know what they were thinking here or if something went awry. Because Makabe, as you said, is is gearing up to hit him with the chain. And Goto goes to counter by a spinning heel kick into the arm with the chain and, and just kind of shut down Makabe. And that's what the crowd clearly thought, because they popped huge. And then they realized Makabe just wasn't selling it. And it was like, and Goto was kind of like landing as if he just missed a spinning heel kick. And it was like, okay, did Makabe just did the force of Makabe's arm with the chain hitting his leg, just nullify whatever Goto was trying. And then Makabe just bounces to the rope again. And Goto hits either as like a Busaiku knee or a drop kick, but it's essentially the exact same thing as what he would have got from hitting him with the spinning heel kick. Yet it got half the reaction, and that's being generous, as the spinning heel kick got when the crowd actually thought they were doing what they ended up doing anyway. So it was like re- either really ill-advised, or someone got confused, like Makabe forgot to bump, or just zoned out momentarily. But they lost that moment. They had a moment there, building into the finish, but they lost it. But it was kind of saved, because Goto fired up and got really... It got the crowd going again right after it, and it was it was okay. They got it back on track, but it got momentarily weird for a moment there. Yeah, he gets it back on track, like you said, with two big Saito, Saito suplexes, and then the Shoten, and then uh, a Lariat two count, another Shoten, and then we get the one, two, three to uh, a very good reaction from the crowd. Goto wins the G1 in 22 minutes and 25 uh, seconds. From here, we see Goto challenging Keiji Muto, who is the current IWGP heavyweight champion at this time. I think this is the reign where he won it from Shinsuke Nakamura in Osaka, which is yeah. I saw I saw that live actually. I was my I first know time. I did. I remember us talking about it. And my first time in uh, Osaka. Then it was the Bodymaker Coliseum, or was it was still Osaka Prefectural Gymnasium? I I think it was yeah, still the Prefectural. I don't think gymnasium. it had a. Yeah, I don't think it has. It's always, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's always been the Perfectual Gymnasium, right? But it's just had different sponsor names on top of that at different points. So it was Bodymaker and then Edion. I think there was a third one in there at some point, but even still, it's accurate now to call it the Osaka Perfectual Gymnasium. It just has a sponsor attached to it. Yeah, now it's got a sponsor. Before, it was always like before, I guess, Bodymaker. Uh, started sponsoring it. It was the Perfectional Gymnasium. Everyone knew it that way. 
I think most people still call it that who live in Osaka. I, I just say Eddie Armina now just for simplicity's sake. It's actually easier to say, but in my mind, I still think of it as the Osaka Prefectural Gymnasium. Yeah, Prefectural uh, is a hard word. <laughs> it is. It is. Even for me who lived here almost close to 10 years. Uh, so he challenges Mudo. And Mudo is like, yeah, he's just clapping. He's like, yeah, congratulations. Omodetto, omodetto. And he's like, you know, basically saying, yeah, okay. But he, he's not really, I don't know, he's not taking Goto too seriously. I guess that would happen uh, later when they have their title challenge, which would happen on August 31st on actually an All Japan show, their Pro Wrestling Love in Ryo Goku Volume 5 show, uh, where, you know, Hiroki Goto would, of course, fall to the the the, the master, the, sh- the the wizard of wrestling at this time, Keiji Mudo. Uh, overall thoughts about this this match, Alan, and maybe of the, the, the Goto's subsequent challenge to Keiji Mudo at Pro Wrestling Love and Ryogoku Volume 5. So as far as this G1 final, hell of a match. Um, uh, no, it's not like a Naito versus Omega G1 final, but it's a heated brawl with a great crowd reaction and a hot closing finish. I mean, you can't possibly um, be disappointed in a, in a match like that. It was just different from what we kind of, maybe the complete epics that we get from uh, New Japan in the last couple of years. But in 2008, this was borderline epic for, for New Japan Pro Wrestling. Like this was, New Japan was not really known as a um, m- w- big time work rate match quality promotion like if you were keeping a uh, match of the year tracking list like yours truly was in 2008 new japan might appear i don't know 15 times 20 times maybe not like now where it's there 80 times you know um so different kettle of fish and a match like this stood out in 2008 as one of their more impactful matches of the year so um yeah it was uh it was very good stuff. I enjoyed it a lot. Holds up on rewatch. Um, good intensity from the wrestlers. Good intensity from the crowd. Very good stuff. Um, as far as the Mudo match and Goto's future coming out of this, uh, pretty much like kind of both can be classed as, as, as missed opportunities. I think um, for Goto, winning this G1 it was basically a it was the perfect time for him to win a G1 and get this push, but it was like the worst possible time because there was no way he was beating Keiji Muto on an All Japan show. It was like the worst champion for him to to have to face because you just knew Muto wasn't putting him over. And you just knew that it was like, okay, Goto's now just going to have to take a step back. And it was just really deflating because... When you see him here, and it's the same if you watch the, the Tanahashi match he has at Sumo Hall, his first IWGP heavyweight title challenge in 2000, late 2007, one of the greatest New Japan matches ever. If, you, if you've never seen it, you've got to watch it. Um, it's the same feeling. It's like this guy, like he went on to have a very good career, very good, uh, a real servant of the company, um, 10 years of just being a, a top guy, like at the top of the cards, having title matches, getting respect, uh, maybe a little less so in the last year or so, but for the bulk of that time, just a, a, a real um, pillar of the company, I would say, but never a guy who won the big belt, never a guy who felt like the guy in the company. And if you watch this match and you watch 
the Tanahashi match from 07, you feel like he could have been. And I don't feel it was through any fault of his own or through any lacking of connection that he had with the crowd that prevented that. I think the crowd would have took to Hiroki Goto getting a run. I think Goto would have performed in that slot. But I just don't think he was ever given a chance. And I think, um, look, you can't crown everyone. I I am a well-known supporter of the New Japan booking. I, I think they do a great job. I think what they've done over um, the last 10 years can be cannot be understated for how incredible it's been. And um, We all have little irks we have with the booking. But I mean, those are... Uh, specks of dust in in the forest or whatever way you want to explain it it's like the macro job they've done has been so incredible that you really can't tear them apart for for little micro things and i would consider the failure to make hiroki goto as big of a star as he could have been i would consider that a micro thing because i mean if they did make goto a bigger star and he did have an iwgp title run and it went really well would they be in any better of a position now Probably not. So really, it makes no difference in no. the grand scheme of their business. But for me as a Goto fan, I would have liked to have seen it. So there you yeah. go. I, I think it would have been nice, but I, I agree with you. Not everyone can be champion. And not everyone should be champion. That title and holding that title should be a special thing. Uh, and I, I don't think, like, I'm not, you know, like, sad that he's never held the belt. I wouldn't, I would be happy if he did, but... It doesn't really matter that much to me. I would prefer if he got like a long, like I wish like he had the kind of icy title reign that Nakamura had. You know, I think that would have really elevated him up more and, and made him. Oh, more when, when he kept winning in like 012, 2013, when he kept winning the icy title and then like losing it back to Nakamura, I was like, oh come on. <laughs> yeah, but if he held it like the the way Nakamura held it, like just kept yeah. it and beat beat people, beat people, beat people, and really. Like Nakamura, that icy belt means the like that it has the status that it has because of Nakamura, not because of anyone before that title reign on him. So I wish Goto kind of had something like more like that rather than becoming the IWGP heavyweight champion. But it, I I don't think it was meant to be either in terms of this title challenge to Mudo because I think this this Mudo title reign was building towards Wrestle Kingdom in the following year against Tanahashi, I believe. I think they were building towards Muto Tanahashi and kind of like crowning, unofficially passing the torch from like this guy who's still considered a big New Japan legend in Keiji Muto, even though he works for All Japan, he's the head of All Japan, and then kind of passing the torch to the the new ace in Tanahashi at this point in time, Alan. Yeah, it's... Uh, sorry, what was the question there, Rich? No, the, the idea that like they're saving Keiji Muto's losing of the title for... Tanahashi as a kind of oh, unofficial yeah. passing of the torch from this guy, Mudo, who's still considered, even though he's the head of All Japan for wrestling, he's still considered a New Japan legend to the future legend, the the, the, the ace now of the yeah. company. Yeah, absolutely. It was, it was, Goto was, was an afterthought in it. And um, Tanahashi was, was definitely, they were, they were still working on building. Tanahashi wasn't there yet as the guy with the legacy. So they were still building that. So um, that was obviously important to do. But uh, um, to, to me, it's disappointing that they, they weren't able to do something more with Goto at this, at this moment. I, well, I think the, I think the Mudo, do you think the Mudo thing really was an important thing in building Tanashi? Do you think that was, 
you think that putting the title on Mudo and having him have it for nine months with very few defenses and then drop it to Tanashi to Dome, do you think that was a, a good play overall? Do you think that helped? I I do because I do think there's cachet in like the legends of the past putting over like the, the guys who are coming up. I do think even though Kijimura wasn't working full time for New Japan, that he like when he won the title, I was there. That crowd fucking went nuts when he won the belt from Nakamura, who's a New Japan guy. But in Kijimoto's technically the invader, but they still thought saw him as like this guy that they remembered from like, you know, 80, 88, 89, 90, 91, right? And then up until, you know, before he left in 2001, like they thought of him still as like Keiji Muto, the great Muto, the guy who was one of the three musketeers. So for Tanahashi, not only to like beat someone like, you know, the previous generation in Nagata, the previous ace in him, I think it really helped his standing in longtime New Japan fans' eyes for him to beat one of the three musketeers. And like, obviously, he can't, you know, Hashimoto's like gone. Chono's kind of more or less retired. And so Muto's the only one left. And I think the whoever is booking, I think, is this, is Ghetto booking at this point in 2008? I feel like the transition had happened and, and Ghetto and, and or Jado were, were handling things at this moment. I got to think they thought, okay, we have this opportunity to enter a business relationship with Keiji Muto where we will put the title on him. He'll beat the other big star of, of our company, Nakamura, but he's going to drop it to Tanahashi. And then, you know, in the, along the way, he's going to beat some of the other top guys in, in New Japan to crown Tanahashi. So I think that legacy torch is passed from Muto, the three musketeer version of Muto, the New Japan version of Muto to, you know, Tanahashi. And they weren't going to, like, like you said, they're not going to have him lose to Koto on an all Japan show. So, you know, you kind of knew what the writing on the wall each time Muto defended that belt. If you know that Tanahashi is the guy who's going to beat him at the following Wrestle Kingdom. But I do think, yes, to, to, this is my long way of getting to, your, to the answer to your question is that I do think it helped Tanahashi in the long run. So yeah. anyways, we'll, sorry, we'll move on to the trivia part of the show, Alan. So I, I ask three trivia questions regard, in, in the pop culture realm. And I, I've uh, tailed this for you because they're all like uh, they're, they're pop culture trivia questions based around like the uh, Irish music charts and the Irish box office oh, charts. Jeez, I don't <laughs> have a chance. You might as well be asking me about the Bolivian. I am. I, I by two thousand eight, I was well and truly um, emerged into my uh, or submerged into my wrestling bubble that I've barely come out of in the time since so uh this will be this will be difficult if you want to ask me about 2008 chikara i can probably uh give you a good answer if you ask me about 2008 in film or tv or music it's going to be a struggle but let's go i'm curious what you got for me don't worry after this i have wrestling trivia for you uh number one song on the irish music charts in august of 2008 <laughs> oh god i have no idea um uh, let's say it's an American artist, <laughs> by the way. I'm trying to think of like something that might be somewhere around that time, but my music knowledge like literally ends in 2002. Um, Sh- 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 the rise of Shakira was like the last mainstream music thing I, I paid attention to. Um, let's just go with Shakira. I'm gonna go Shakira. Oh, you said American, right? Okay, yeah. she's Colombian, so not her. Uh, Brian Adam, no, he's Canadian. <laughs> uh, Shania Twain, something by Shania Twain. No, she's Canadian too. 
Oh no! Oh my god! Oh, I'm really embarrassing myself here. I actually did know that. Now I can't think of an American singer. What's going on? Um, Beyonce. Um, I don't know. Put a ring on it. Uh no. I'll tell you who it is. It's it's Kid Rock with a song called "All Summer Long." So I guess it's Kid Rock. Summer I didn't anthem. think Kid Rock was that over in, in the UK and Ireland. I, didn't think, I think I, I always thought I just knew him because he had wrestling tie-ins. I never yeah. heard anyone ever talk about him over here. No, I, I've never been a Kid Rock fan myself. Uh, still, I'm still, I'm still not. Yes, okay. Uh, number one album on the Irish music charts in August of 2008? Uh, ooh. I have no. Uh, by the way, I have no idea who this artist is or what this album is. So. I'll go with a, a Westlife album. Uh no, it's it's the script by Oh yeah, the I script. Know the script. Script of the first concert I ever went to. Sarah dragged me to a concert in uh, when we started dating in in, in 2011 and uh, it was a script concert. Who are the script then? I have no idea who they are. They were like a boy band. Oh, they were I wouldn't really call them a boy band cuz they were like more mature. They played instruments and stuff like that. So it wasn't like Backstreet Boys or Westlife or whatever, but uh they uh um they sang that. Um, they sang the, the song that they used for WWE Hall of Fame. Uh, oh. Take it to the Hall of Fame. Do, 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 do. That song, you know that one. Oh. Uh, no, I don't pay attention to WWE theme songs anymore. But oh, I'll pretty take much any Hall of Fame. Like I think has used that in the last like ten years. So <laughs> okay, I'll look that up. Uh, let's move on to the number one movie at the Irish box office in two thousand eight. I, I will give you a clue. It stars. Christian Bale. I was I was gonna say this. I wish you hadn't given me the clue because I would have gotten it. I don't know which Batman, but it was a Batman. Okay, well, take a guess. Which Batman? It is a, one of the Batman movies. Which one? I, I'm I'm bad at knowing the different names. It was like Dark Knight or Dark Knight Begins or something. I don't know the names of them. So there's the first one is Batman Begins. The second one is the Dark Knight, and the third one is uh, Dark Knight Rises. So which of those three do you think? Oh five was his first one. That was the first one that genre. So I guess Batman Begins. Yes, so this is 2008. Oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah. 2008, so that's um, Dark Knight. The Dark Knight, yes. I, for me, the, the, the best one of the three is, is The Dark Knight. I think Heath Ledger, Joker, is just one of the best performances uh, of any actor in the last 25 years. So like, I, I love that movie very, very much. Uh, okay, Alan, this is your wheelhouse. We're in the wrestling part, okay? Yeah. Into August of 2008, who is the All Japan Triple Crown Champion? August 08. Um, okay, so Suwama won the no Suwama won the 09 Champion Carnival. Um, I'm gonna say for August, I'm gonna say Kensuke Sasaki. You're actually the first name you said was correct. It is Suwama. Suwama. Yeah. Okay, I think he might have just won it from Suzaki. Yeah, I think I can't remember the lineage, but it is uh, uh, Suwama. Let's move over to Kate Doja. I made this difficult for you. I, I specifically went very obscure with some of these. Who is the Kate Dojo strongest strongest K champion in August of two thousand eight? Oh, it's gonna have to be an educated guess here, but it's I'm gonna say either Kengo Mishima or Yujihino, and I'll go with. I'll go with old belly button himself, Yuji Hino. It's Kenko Mashimo. Ah. Oh. Okay, this one you should definitely get this one in August of two thousand. Name the right answer to all yes. these questions. You're getting the, you, 
You are. So, like, we'll, we'll give you those for sure. Um, I'm on the right track. Okay, this one you should get. I will be shocked if you do not get this. Who is the Open the Dreamgate champion in August of 2008? Okay, this one I can work out. Um, okay, so... Probably Doi, but I just want to double check. Oh, no, no. Um, Doi didn't have won it yet. Um, August. Shingo won it at Kobe World that year. And he certainly had it through August. So, yeah, Shingo Takagi. You are correct, sir. It is indeed Shingo Takagi. Let's move over to Germany. Who is the WXW Unified World Wrestling Champion in August of 2008? And I, I, I would think you would know this. Um, okay, so August 2008. Hmm. Is it Steve Douglas? <laughs> you are correct, sir. It is indeed Steve Douglas. Oh, yes. <laughs> Delighted with getting that one right. Yes. I, I, would, I would hope that you being someone who's very deeply involved with WXW would know who the well, champion Steve, is. Steve Douglas was a previous era, let's say. So uh, uh, that was... Uh, a, you don't see much Steve Douglas around WXW these days or much mention of him. So... Um, yeah, he was uh, he was he was from a previous incarnation of the promotion. Well, I mean, you got it, so that's cool. A final final trivia question: Who is the Ring of Honor World Champion in August of two thousand and eight? Ring of Honor World Champion August two thousand eight. So let me think this true. Um, Nigel has it in the. Sp- Spring of 08. He doesn't lose it until... He won that four-way with in New York. I think that was August 2008. So I think it's still Nigel at this point. Sir, Alan, you're correct. It is Nigel. Yes. So I like the way your brain thinks. Like you're you're going through different mid patches each time. Oh yeah, time. I, I, I'll identify landmarks around the the point in time and try and map it out from there. <laughs> it's pretty great. I, it, funny enough, all the names that you initially say are probably the right answers to these questions. So excellent job. I think you're probably the champion for the wrestling portion of the trivia. This is definitely the most like difficult like wrestling trivia I did for these shows so far because i knew you were the guest i'm thinking okay i gotta make it i can't just make it who's the iwgp champion who's the ghc champion who's the triple crown champion who are the ghc tag team champions because you'll know those things so i gotta go k dojo i gotta go xw i gotta go ring of honor all these things so but dude you did really really well funnily enough steve douglas and kengo mishimo basically are the same person in what way Bleach blonde, long hair, sleazy trash bags, just fantastic, uh, fantastic sleazy trash bags. 
I'll have to I'll have to look up Steve Ogos. I'm not familiar with him at all. But that wraps up the the trivia portion of uh, Cruel Summer and uh, of the show itself. And Alan, I want to thank you so much for appearing on this episode. I definitely one of the more in depth shows. I think you just added so much backstory to both Makabe and Goto to the promotion at large, and just put so much context in here. And I, I really want to thank you for that, Alan. Oh, thank you, WH. It was a pleasure to get fired up here on my Saturday morning with you. Yeah, and uh, where can people find more of Alan Farrell? Uh, Alan Farrell on Twitter. <laughs> That's the best place. You'll you'll find uh, me plugging all the things I do, such as writing for Fighting Spirit magazine. Um, I've got a something I'm really looking forward to releasing in Fighting Spirit uh, coming up this summer. Um, I've been working on it for a few months now. It is uh, one that the nerds amongst us will appreciate. I've I've gone full wrestling nerd with this. I'm taking it extremely seriously, and uh, I will be interested in people's reactions. Um, so that is is going to drop in Fighting Spirit magazine soon. Um, also, uh, of course, I. Um, have the Progress Paradise that we talked about quite a bit earlier over at PW Torch. So PW Torch VIP is where you want to sign up to get all my shows along with all the other great content that's offered by PW Torch. Wade Keller, Bruce Mitchell, Todd Martin, Sean Rannigan, Rich Fan, all the guys over at PW Torch. Um, my latest show with Rich Fan, as it happens, was uh, uh, the second in my We Love Liger series, where, like with everyone else in Wrestling Internet, I'm doing a, a thing to build up to the fact that Jushin Liger is retiring soon. So, um, yeah, I hope people have been enjoying that offering. And uh, um, also, uh, WXW, of course, uh, WXW Now, where you can see my commentary on WXW uh, shows. Typically, uh, uh, I'm like the Young Bucks in Japan. They bring me over for the big shows, WH. I'm uh, there for 16 Carat. I'm there for uh, uh, World Tag League uh, or World Tag Team Festival, as, as it is nowadays. So, um, yeah, I'll be uh, over at World Tag Team Festival in, in October. And um, I will possibly be doing another show between now and then. We're just trying to arrange uh, uh, logistics for that. Um, but, uh, yeah, and uh, WXW's... Um, WXW now with, with shows popping up uh, on a very regular break, uh, basis up there, so check that out. But uh, yeah, your catch-all destination is Alan Forel on Twitter. If there's something I need you to know about, you'll find out about it there. That's awesome. And uh, I want to thank again Alan for joining me on the show. I want to thank all the listeners for uh, keeping up with us during this very epic edition of Cruel Summer. I think people will enjoy it. I, I want to thank all the listeners for for downloading the show and for all the feedback I've been getting. It's really uh, appreciated by myself. And I'll take this opportunity uh, to say goodbye to all the fans and see you on the next episode. Bye. Bye.